If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to be in verses 11 through 32 once again this week. And we're going to be covering, as we started last week, the parable of the lost son, or better known as the parable of the prodigal son. Um, now, if you look, if you got your Bibles open and you look at verse 2, uh, verses 1 and 2 kind of set the context for this whole chapter. And it all begins with the Pharisees are complaining that Jesus is eating with sinners. Not eat, in fact, not even so much eating with sinners as He receives sinners. In other words, He welcomes them. He invites them in. He fellowships with them. It's not that He got caught at a restaurant, you know, and somebody just sat beside Him. It's not that. It's that fact that He actually welcomes them in. So, chapter 15 is all, all these parables, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son are all told to answer this question, why does he do that? Why does he, why does he welcome sinners? Why does he eat with, with them? So Jesus is saying in all of these parables, the point is, is pretty clear. He's saying, in effect, that, that when I receive sinners and eat with them, it's like a, a woman that's, that's looking for a lost coin. It's like a shepherd that's looking for a lost sheep. And it's like a, a father that welcomes home uh, a rebellious uh, son. So, in other words, Jesus' actions are representing the love of God for sinners. That's what it means when He eats with them. He's reaching out to them. He's looking for them. He's, he, he's, he's petitioning them or entreating them to, to come back home. So that's what these parables are all about. They're explaining Jesus' actions, what he's, what he's doing. Now, the main parable, as we already said, there's three parables in this chapter, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And of course, the main parable is the parable of the lost son. Now, as we said last week, we began to cover this. The first part of the parable is, of course, about the younger son who represents the sinner. The second part of the parable is about the father, uh, which represents God. And then, of course, the third part of the parable is about the older son who represents the Pharisees or the, the religious crowd. So let's start reading in verse 11 and 12, and we'll just go through the first few verses quickly and kind of get back up to speed uh, where we are and what we covered last week. So verses 11 and 12, and he said, this is Jesus talking, and said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, as we said last week, this was something in that day that you just did not do. There was a, a, a patriarchal uh, system, a hierarchical system in place. The father owned everything until he died, and then it passed to the older son and, and then the younger son. I mean, it was a system in place. And everybody understood that. Everybody abided by that system. So you did not come to your father early and say, hey, give me what's coming to me. In fact, that, in that culture, in effect, you were saying to your father, I wish you were dead. I'd be better off just if you were dead. Go ahead and give me what I've got today. It was, just, it, was the, it was a supreme act of shame. You just did not do that. But this father, for whatever reason, it's his stuff. He can do with it what he wants to. He goes ahead and gives it to the younger son. And it says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. That word, if you've got an old King James, it might say prodigal living. That's where we get that word prodigal. It means reckless, wasteful. Um, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, 
and he began to be in need. And so we, we find out later in the story that his, the older brother says he squandered his living or he squandered your property with prostitutes. So this isn't the fact that this young man made bad investments. He's partying, right? He's drinking. He's, he's got an entourage around him. He's, he's just wasting money with prostitutes, spending it left and right. He doesn't have a job. He has no, uh, no plans for the future. He's just living day to day. And, and as we said, remember, this young man represents the sinner. And, it, and we can read a story like this. I mentioned this last week. And we read a story and say, what kind of idiot would just spend your money and not even have a job? What, what kind of idiot would, would live like that with no thought for tomorrow? But in effect, that's what every sinner that's away from God is doing. You're living day to day knowing that tomorrow could be your last and you don't even give it a thought. You just live day to day. You don't make any preparations for eternity. You don't make any preparations for, for, the, for the judgment. You just live day to day. That's what every sinner is doing. And that's exact, And even though when we look at it like this, it looks incredibly stupid to do. The fact is, we did it before we came to Christ. And, and everybody apart from Christ is doing it today. So this young man is living. He finally runs out of money. He doesn't have anything else. He begins to be in need. And, and of all things, a famine hits the country. So nobody's got anything to give him. I mean, he can, you can beg on the street, and it's not going to really matter. And even now... As we said last week, he still won't go home. He goes to plan B. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, as we said, this is the, for a Jew, this is the low of the low. The, the Pharisees that are listening to this story, they already had a, a, a low view of this kid because he had shamed his father. But so he leaves. He leaves Israel. He goes to a foreign country, which in, in, in is a Gentile country. Now he's working for a Gentile, serving a Gentile, and of all things, he's feeding pigs, which is an unclean animal to them. So Jews won't touch pigs. They won't eat pigs. They won't have anything to do with them because they're unclean. And if you touch them or work with them or around them, they make you unclean. And so this this guy, he's as low as low can possibly go in the eyes of the. Pharisees. Verses 17 through 19, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I'm going to arise and go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. We said last week, this is true repentance. He realizes that his sin, first and foremost, was not against the father, First and foremost, his sin is against God. That's when, when, when you have true repentance. It's not so much, oh, I did him wrong or her wrong. It's about I did God wrong. That, so this is the real deal. This isn't just some kid coming to himself and saying, man, I've got to get something to eat, and the only place I can go is just to humiliate myself and go back to my father. No, this is really true uh, re repentance. Verses 20 and 21, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father is looking for the son. He runs out. And before the kid says one word, the father falls on him. He hugs him. He kissed him. In that culture, that meant reconciliation. That meant acceptance. You, 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 I love you. 
you know. And basically what he's doing here is he's treating this kid like he'd never done anything wrong. He doesn't wait for the kid to do penance. He doesn't wait for him to, to pay his dues to make sure he's worthy to be accepted back. He just accepts him back because he comes with true repentance. And the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Remember what we said last week, every nobleman had a, had a best robe. It'd be like a tuxedo that you keep in your closet and you only wear it for the very best occasions. And here comes his son, he's been feeding pigs, he's, he's barefoot, he stinks. And the father said, go get the very best robe I have, go get my tuxedo that I saved for the very best occasions and you put it on this boy's back. And the sign to everybody is, man, he's treating him like a prince, he's treating him like a son. Put shoes on his feet, because the servants can go barefoot, but not the son. And put a signet ring on his finger that has the family seal, which is a symbol of authority, because he's my son. And so they do all this, and then they, they bring the fattened calf. We said last week, there's always a, they, they would always have one calf that they pinned up and fed grain to that wouldn't go out in the field with the other, with the other uh, animals. They always kept him fattened up in case there was a visitor or in case something came up that they needed a, a, a fattened calf. And they had this one. They said, go kill him because we've got reason to, to celebrate. For this, my son was dead, and he's alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So what we saw here last week that is so important in this story is when the repentant son comes back, the change in the relationship is immediate. Again, the father doesn't say, well, you got to, you know, go outside and go work with the hired hands for a year or two, make sure, you know, I want to make sure this is all real. He doesn't do that at, at all. He, he is fully reconciled, fully restored as a son uh, immediately. He, and I said it earlier, he treats him just like his rebellion never happened. Now, here's a question. Why does God do that? See, this is the, the Father represents God. When you come back to God in repentance, He doesn't make you go pay your dues. He just accepts you the way you are immediately. And, and why does He do that? Well, these parables teach us that it gives Him joy to do that. See, there was a party when the sheep was found. There's a party when the coin found. And there's a huge party when the lost son is found. See, that's the whole point. See, these parables teach us that, that there's joy in heaven. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Look unto Jesus, the founder and the perfecter, or the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What joy is that? Well, these parables teach us that the joy that's being talked about here is the joy uh, of finding lost sinners, the joy of restoring lost children. That's why he did it all, because he, he's looking forward to the joy that's going to come from that. So one of the lessons that we learn from these parables is that the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost, not so much for your joy, but for the joy of heaven for the joy of God, for the joy of Christ, for the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that's something we don't talk about a lot, that God has joy. But these parables teach us it brings Him joy when a lost sinner comes back to the Father. And when we get to heaven, I can tell you it's going to be one long party. It's going to be one long celebration of the, of the, of the children that have returned. Now in verse 25, the parable takes one more turn and we're introduced to the very last uh, participant or the character in this story. 
And that, of course, is the older son. Now, here the question changed. Remember, the question we've been answering up to this point is, why does Jesus eat with sinners? Why does he eat with prostitutes? Why does he eat with, with thieves and robbers and, and, and tax collectors and the, and the dregs of society? Why does he do that? See, that's what we've been answering, because he wants to restore them. He wants to find them. He wants to bring joy to heaven. But now the question changes to, why do the Pharisees not eat with them? What's wrong with the Pharisees that they will not go in and eat with sinners? Now, I said this last week, and I want <clears throat> to say it one more time this morning before we unpack this section. Last week, if you were here last week and, and you listened to the first part of the parable, I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I enjoy studying that. I enjoy teaching it. But it's really this third part that's most applicable to the people in this, in this room. It's this third part of the parable where most of us need to listen very carefully because it's this part of the parable that is for long-time churchgoers. This is a passage for people who don't struggle so much with running from God as they do with condemning those who do run from God. Let, let me say that one more time. This, this passage of the parable is not so much though for those who struggle with running from God but they struggle with condemning those who do run from God. And we're all guilty of that from time to time. I mean, don't you, you can sit here and all, act all high and mighty, but we're all guilty of that. We see somebody, they're not doing right, and instead of feeling compassion for them, empathy for them, saying, they're, they're, except for the grace of God, go I, we condemn them, we judge them, we put them down. And if we struggle with that, this is for this section of the parable is for us because the older brother represents the Pharisees, the scribes, the, the, the religious people, those who stood by and pointed at Jesus and said, why is he doing that? Why does he go in there and, and, and mess around with those unclean people? So, so it's very important for us, I believe, to listen to this third part of the parable and see what uh, it shows us about God's love for them. Okay, so let's look at verse 25. It says this, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Now that word safe and sound there is a key phrase. It's a English, we use it still today, right? He's safe and sound. It actually comes from the Greek word hugiano, and it, it's basically where we get the English word hygiene. And it means soundness. It means well-being. It means, it means wholeness. And, and what this servant is saying is he's received, he's received him back, hugiano. We translate it safe and sound, but it literally means whole. And he's not talking about just physically whole. He's saying he's received him back as a son. He's restored him back as a son. So this... This older brother realizes immediately what, what's happening here. That this isn't about, uh, you know, just always oh, safe. He, we're going to have a party and then we're going to put him to work with the hired hands. No, he's been restored and reconciled as a son. Now, if the older brother loves the younger brother, and if the older brother loves his daddy, he should be happy at this news, right? My younger brother has been found, he's safe, he's sound, he's been restored. He should be happy. But what we find out in verse 28 is that just the opposite happens. It says, He was angry 
and he refused to go in. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want you to remember something. The Pharisees, the religious crowd, are listening to this story, right? This story is for them. He's been explaining this to them the whole time. And, and as they're sitting there listening to the story, and they hear the story about the son and what he did, and they, they've heard what the father did, you see, in their mind, everything that's been done up to this point has been shameful. In other words, everything that has happened up to this point in the story has been against what they think is, is right. Remember, first, the, the young son committed shameful acts. He should have never shamed his father by asking for that inheritance. But you see, in their mind, what the father did was shameful. He should have never gave that boy what he wanted. Right? He knew that boy. He knew he was lazy. He knew he was sorry. He knew if he gave him that money, he was just going to go off and waste all of it. He, he should have never done what he did. He should have never gave that boy what he, what he wanted. And then, after all that time, that boy comes back and that father accepts him like nothing ever happened. He just takes him back in. He doesn't make him perform any penance. He doesn't make him sit outside or, you know, he doesn't make him uh, wear sackcloth and ash. He doesn't make him do anything. He just accepts him back and treats him like nothing ever happened. And if that, I mean, just look at what he did. He restores him immediately, puts a ring on his finger, the best robe on him. Shoes on his feet, kills the fattened calf. And of all the things, he couldn't even keep it private. He couldn't even keep the thing under wraps. He had to go kill the cow and, and invite the whole community. Because remember, back then, when you killed a calf, everybody, you, you couldn't keep it. There's no refrigerator, there's no freezer. If you killed a cow, you had to eat the whole thing. So when they did that, everybody got invited. Everybody. So he's invited the whole community. He can't even keep the thing private. He can't even keep his business his business. He's got to let everybody know how shameful he has acted. Okay? So in the minds of the Pharisees, they're listening to this story, and they're just waiting for somebody to show up and do the right thing. Somebody in this story has got to step forward and tell this son and tell this father how things really ought to be. Somebody's got to do the right thing. And lo and behold, here he is. Finally, finally they're thinking, here's somebody that they can identify with. Here's somebody that knows how to do the right thing. See, this is, this is the son that stayed with the father. This is the son that did his duty. This is the son that understands what honor and respect really is. I can identify with this guy. So they, and when they heard he wouldn't go in... They, they're thinking, finally, somebody has stepped up and done the right thing. Now remember, remember where this story started. Verse 2. Remember? The man receives sinners and eats with them. In other words, he goes into sinners and he eats with them. And now you've got an older son and what's he refusing to do? He won't go in. See? He sees things in there that he doesn't like. He sees things in there that he doesn't agree with and he won't go in. So the Pharisees are like, yes, yeah. I, I mean, you can just see their head bobbing. Yep, yep, yep. That's right, that's right. That's exactly what they're thinking. And Jesus is so great with these stories because he can set them up. He sets it up where they absolutely... Remember, he took that, that, that young boy to the lowest of the low. 
He, he wanted them to, to, to just dislike that boy to show how God can from the very... No matter how far away you are, the Father will take you back. And now he sets this, this, young, this older son up, so these Pharisees looking at him, they're like, yeah, man, finally, finally somebody that knows what honor and duty and respect is all about. Somebody that, finally, somebody that did the right thing. He's, he's going to set these people right. And when, when they hear he won't go in and eat, to them, that was, that was like, yeah, man, this is, this is, we can identify with this guy. So let's look at verse 28 through 29. But he was angry. And he refused to go in. Now watch what the father does. His father comes out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I've never disobeyed even one of your commands. Not one. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Now, whether you guys realize it or not, and whether I realize it or not, the words that he just spoke go right to the very heart of what Christianity really is. You see, at its foundation, Christianity is a right relationship to God as our Father through faith. Everybody with me? At, our, at the very heart of, of, of when we walk out our Christianity every day, it's all about walking in a relationship with Him as our Father through faith. And by the way, if you get that wrong, if you get that relationship wrong... It's not Christianity anymore, it's religion. Now, I, want to say that, I want to say that again. If you get that wrong, that Christianity is all about just walking with our Father. Yeah, we're not perfect. Yeah, we, we make mistakes. Just like my boys make mistakes, and they're not perfect, but I love them exactly the same. I don't cast them out of the family. They'll always be my children. That's the relationship we should have with our Heavenly Father. Yeah, we make mistakes. Yeah, we disappoint Him. But He always loves us. He's not going to throw us out of the family. He may discipline us to get us to make us do the right thing, to teach us how to do the right thing, but He doesn't disown us. See, that's what Christianity is all about. If you get that wrong, then what you just do is you just turn it into a religion. Not, it's not really Christianity anymore. I mean, ask yourself in this story, how does the older brother relate to the father? And if you look at his words, you see very quickly it's not as father and son, it's as master and slave. See, he said, first thing out of his mouth, look, for these years I have served you, not I have loved you. It's not I've been here for you all these years, Father, we've loved each other. No, I've been serving you all those years. That, That word serving is the exact same word you see for what a servant or a slave does. See, he's not serving out of love for his father. He's serving out of duty. He he may very well be serving out of fear. See, one of the things we'll see a little bit later, at the end of the day, there's really no difference between the older son and the younger son. The younger son just had the guts to do what the older son never would. He had the guts to leave. The older son just didn't do it. He he, he, He couldn't stand the shame, the humiliation, what people would say. He just wouldn't, but he's not, he stayed out of, not out of love. He stayed for some other reason, out of duty, out of fear, maybe for a a desire, well, if I stay here long enough, I'm going to get this. But he's not doing it as a father-son relationship. He's serving out of anything and everything but love. And then watch what he says. And I've never neglected a command of yours. See, there it is again. He sees his father as, as somebody who lays down the law, somebody who issues commands. 
And he sees himself as somebody that's got to obey those commands. That's what this relationship between him and the Father is built on. It's a master-slave. It's a, it's a boss-employee relationship. It's not a father-son. This thing is all out of whack. And see, this is not the way God wants us to relate to Him. That's what I keep going back to. If we're relating to God as, as He's the master and we're the slave, He's the issuer of commands and we've got to obey, and we never move... That's, that's, we've, we just turn this into religion. It's just religion. See, Christianity is all about relationship. Relationship with Jesus Christ. Relationship with God the Father. And if you miss that, it's a distortion of Christianity and it's not the Christian life. Acts 17.25 says this, God is not served by human hands as though He needs anything from you. We need to remember that sometime, guys. God doesn't need anything from us. Jesus did not come into this world to hang out a help-wanted sign. He came in to hang out a help-available sign. He, he's not like a boss who needs employees. He's not, that's not what He's here for. In fact, what He's here for is, I think I put this down, he, He's eating with sinners because He's a doctor with a cure, not because He's an employee with a labor shortage. That's not what He came for. He came to seek and save that which was lost, to bring us into a, 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 a relationship with Him and the Father, bring us into the family of God. Not to make us employees, not to make us slaves, not, not to make us servants. That, that's not what he came for. See, you need to test yourself here. When you read this story, if you read this story and your first thought is, you know what, that older brother, he's actually got a good complaint. He, he's actually got something legitimate to say. If, if, you, if that's in your mind, you're not getting it. <clears throat> you're not getting it. You're seeing it completely the, the wrong way. See, you still, if you're not careful, you start thinking in the religious way, which is master and slave and works and obedience. You don't, and you're not thinking the grace way, which is father and child and faith. See, the question is not whether the son's always obeyed. That's not the question at all. The question is where the father wants to be related to in that, in that way. I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> this mentality that some people in the church have. Well, they don't see God as our Heavenly Father. Our, and by the way, our kind and generous and merciful and forgiving and loving Father. I mean, that's what this parable paints a picture of the Heavenly Father as, as all of those things. I mean, He's just waiting for us to, to, to come to Him. He's not sitting there waiting to beat us and make us pay our dues and all of that. Okay? But if you've got this mentality that he's this, this master-slave mentality, that's a very dangerous way to live. And the fact is, a lot of things go wrong in our life, and a lot of things go wrong in our relationships when we have that mentality. For example, one of the things we'll do is we'll find ourselves alienated from sinners. When we see people doing wrong, instead of feeling compassion and empathy for them, we're like, man, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? You know, then you'll find yourself condemning them. And the question is, why do we do that? Okay. Well, instead of what we'll find us do is we we see ourselves and we think, look at me, I've been serving God for forty years. Man, I've been I've been I'm in church every Sunday. I dress right. I look right. I act right. I've been married uh, for so many years. I'm a good daddy. 
See, you see all that, and you look at them and see they ain't those things. <clears throat> and we think, God, why are you overlooking me? Why do you love that guy so much? Why not me? Look at what I've done. It's just a completely wrong mentality that we have. We'll find ourselves not thinking it's fair. I've been here all this time, and I've done all this work, and those that come in at the end get the same thing we do. Y'all remember the parable of the laborers several weeks ago? And it talked about a man that would go to the marketplace, and he went at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he hired some people to work all day. And then he went back at 12 o'clock, and he hired some more people. Then he went back at 3 o'clock, and he hired some more people. And then at 5 o'clock, one hour before dark, that's when they quit working at 6 o'clock, one hour before dark, he hired the, the last, and they worked for one hour. And at the end of the day, he decides to pay them. And in Matthew 20, verse 8, it says this, and this is such an interesting verse. It says, When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages. Start with the last and then work to the first. Now, why does he do that? Think about that for a second. He didn't have to do that. He could have paid them all separately. But he actually calls them all together and he pays the people that were hired at 5 o'clock first and he makes the other people watch. Makes them watch. And remember, he pays them all what? The same. Now, why does he do that? Why does he make them watch? Because see, the guys that are hired first... It's a test of what's in your heart. Because when you see other people getting the same thing you did and you've been working longer, either one of two things are going to happen. You're going to look at them and say, Wow, what a God we serve. Our God is so generous. Our God is so kind. Our God is so loving and so forgiving. What a God I serve. That's one thing. Or you'll look at that person and say, That ain't fair. That's not fair. See, what's in your heart? It's all about what's in your heart. That's why he did that. Test what's in your heart. And when we work with this slave mentality, we'll find out that our heart's not right. By the way, it'll also make us into blamers. Look what that boy said, verse 30. But when this son of yours came, not this brother of mine. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say this brother of mine, it's this son of yours. Does that sound like somebody else? That woman you gave me. That woman you gave me, she made me do that, right? See, you become a blamer. It's not about you anymore. Listen, why, how can it be me? I've been serving 40 years. I've made all the commands. I've been serving you. It ain't my fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault. See, it's a complete distortion of the relationship we should have. It should be father-son, father-daughter. Instead, it's master-slave, and it distorts everything in our, in our life. Now remember, I'll say it one more time, the older son represents the Pharisees or the religious crowd. And they are the, they are the people who think, because they keep all the rules, they're closest to God. But in fact, they're not close to God at all. They don't understand His heart. They're, they, 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 they're far from it. So how will the father deal with this son? In essence, how will God deal with these religious people. Well, here's the, here's the beauty of this story. It turns out that God deals with them the exact same way He deals with the younger son. It, it, it's no different. You see, the fact is... Now, now, remember, keep in mind that this lesson, this part of the lesson, or this part of the parable, is really for people who have been going to church for years and years and years, and their hearts have grown hard, 
their hearts have grown unforgiving and merciless. They, they feel more disgust for sinners than they do compassion or empathy. So I want you to listen to this. This is what God says to these people. Look at verse 28. His father came out. Now, we read this and we think, what's the big deal? But there's so much in these little words. The father's inside and he hears their, your son's out, your older boy's outside. He ain't coming in. He's mad. This is one of those, anybody here had one of these family situations before? You know, it's a, it's a bad situation. I see a couple of hands go up back there. It's a bad situation. It's usually the women that have to handle this. Men, we just check out and move on. We don't care. And the women get all tied up in knots over this. Oh, he ain't doing this and they ain't doing that. And the men are like, whatever, you know, we don't care. But, but this man is not like that. This father is, is man, he's, he's, I mean, he's compassionate and generous and he loves his, both of his boys. So he's inside and he hears that his older son's outside and he won't come in. So what's he going to do? Well, what it tells us, he does exactly the same thing for the older son that he did for the younger son. He goes out to him. Remember, the younger son comes home, and what does he do? He runs out to him. See, he doesn't send a servant out to get him. He doesn't holler from a distance and say, Get in here! doesn't do any of that. He goes out to him all by himself, right? See, the fact is, Jesus came into the world to save hypocrites and harlots. Both. It's not just the bad people. It's not, it's not just the bad sinners, what we call bad sinners. It's also the good sinners. The people that on the outside look okay but on the inside they're full of rottenness and dead men's bones. He came to save both of those. He's willing to approach both of them. And notice what he does to that boy. He go, Now this is so important. Listen to this. He goes out to him and it says he entreated him. Now I don't think there's any doubt that Jesus uses this word, he chooses this word for this parable very carefully. See, the father knows his son. Just like he knew that younger boy was lazy and sorry, he knows this younger son is an obeyer. He knows that his younger son, I mean this older son, has always had this master-slave relationship with him. He knows this. He's not, he's not dumb. He knows his, his children. And he knows, listen to this, he knows that if he, if he commanded his son to come in, he knows his son would obey. Because that boy always obeys. That's what he is. He's a rule follower. He's an obeyer. All he's got to do is say, tell that boy to get in here. And that boy will come in. But he doesn't do that. See? He doesn't command, even though he has every right as a father to tell that boy to get in there, he does not do that. He entreats. That word entreats means he appeals. He appeals to him. He asks him. See, even here, listen to me, folks. Even here, he's appealing to the boy's heart. See, it's all about, I, I want that relationship with you. I, I, could I command you? Sure. But that's not what I want. I, I appeal to your heart. See, the father's not just trying to get the, to the son to perform the action. He's trying to awaken him inside of him a, relation, a, a love and, and a feeling of what that relationship would be like. See, God's not just out looking for obedience for the sake of obedience. He's looking for a relationship. So even here, the father doesn't command. He's still appealing to that boy's heart. Why don't you just come in because you love me? Because you love me. Not because I command you, but because you love me as your father. And so he says to him, and the first word out of his mouth, son. See, this boy has complained. He's, he's said all this stuff about him. 
and his first word out of his mouth is, is son. And I just think that's all important. Not my servant, not my slave. In the original Greek, it, it's literally he just says child. And see, in this one word, what he's trying to see is, son, we got to really, there's something distorted about our relationship. See, I see you as my boy. I see you as my son. And you see me as some kind of master, some kind of boss. There's something wrong here that we need to get worked out. So in the son's mind, the whole relationship with his father is built on the wrong footing. But with, the one, but with one word, the father sets the relationship and says, this is the way it should be. You're my child. And by the way, folks, th- if we want to come into the banquet, if we want to eat at the banquet, that's the relationship we got to have. Father and child, not master-slave, not boss-employee, not owner-servant, anything like that, but father and child. Verse 31, he said to him, Son, you are always with me. You remember, if you go back and read that boy's words, this is what he said to him. He says, you never even gave me a goat that I might be merry with my friends. Now, you remember when he, the boy first, if you go back and look at you, I didn't put this in. Remember when the boy first walked up, he said to one of whose servants? What does it say? Anybody see that right there? He said to one of his servants. This boy's in a position of authority in this family. He's got servants. And yet, for all these years, he, he's, he said to his father, you never even gave me a goat. Like, like if he wanted a goat, does anybody here doubt that he could have just taken a goat and had a party? Does anybody doubt that? The boy's got servants. He's got position of authority. He could have taken a goat anytime he wanted. And if he felt the need to ask his father, does anybody here doubt that his father wouldn't have said, sure, take your goat. And, I mean, he'd have been fine with that, but he, he didn't even ask. Again, it goes back to this relationship, master, slave. He just had a completely distorted view of his relationship with the Father. Now, what does this tell us? Again, once again, it just exposes the deep dysfunction in that relationship. These are the words of a person who really has no relationship with their Father. And by the way, they're also the words of a person who'd rather, deep down, instead of being stuck at home, obeying the old man, they'd much rather be out partying with their friends. That's, I mean, he just, he just told who he is right there. You see, in the end, and I said this earlier, the irony of this parable, the irony of this parable is that there really is no difference in their heart between the older son and the younger son. There's no difference. Neither one of them love their father. Neither one of them want to be under the authority of their father. Neither one of them want to submit to their father. It's just the younger son had the guts to do what the older son never did. The older son hung around because he didn't want to be shamed in the community. He didn't want to be humiliated. He hung around out of a sense of duty. Whatever the case may be. But in their heart, they're exactly the same. Neither one of them want to have anything to do with the Father. Listen, how many people are in the church today like this older son? They'd really rather be somewhere else. They'd really rather... This morning I came down and there's people... And I, and I always notice this when I come through Crawfordville. There's people out walking on the track there at Azalea Park. There's people gassing up their boats to go fishing. How many people driving through Crawfordville this morning look over there and say, I'd rather be doing that than going to church? I'd rather be going fishing than going to church. 
But yet they keep coming to church. Why? They're coming out of duty because their mom and daddy make them. Because, because if you didn't go, somebody would call you on the phone and say, where were you? They, they don't really want to be here. They don't really have a relationship with the Father. They're not here because they love Him. They're, they're here because of fear. What would happen if I don't go? What, what would Everybody with me? See, the fact is a lot of people would rather take the goat and go have a party than, than be here at church. Finally, verse 31, he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. See, it, as Jesus tells this story, he's probably looking over the head of these harlots and prostitutes and, and thieves and drug addicts and all these dregs of society that he's eating with, and he's looking at the Pharisees who are standing at the door and they won't come in. And he's saying to them on behalf of God, look, all that I have is yours, okay? But, it, but it's, it belong, it's as an inheritance for a child, not a wage for a slave. As an inheritance for a child, not as a wage for a slave. All that I have is yours if you'll come in, if you'll show repentance, if you'll return as a rebellion son, if you'll recognize me and love me as your Father, you have to stop relating to me as a slave, as a servant, as an employee, and be satisfied with me or all I am for you as a father. If you'll receive grace and let it flow. Verse 32, the father says this in the final verse, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In the end, Jesus is entreating or appealing to both the rebellious and the dutiful. In fact, he's entreating all of us, sinners of the worldly kind and sinners of the religious kind, right? And he's saying, if you're the sinner of the worldly kind, come in from that foreign country you've been gone to. See, that boy left and he went way away. In his heart, there was such a disconnect from the father that he got as far away from him as he could. But here's the thing from the older brother. In his heart, he only went to the front porch. Everybody with me? One of them's in a foreign country. The other one's on a front porch. But in their heart, they're both as far from the Father as they can possibly be. And, and, and Jesus is entreating them, come in. Come in from the foreign country. Come in from the, from the for, front porch. And at the end, folks, it doesn't matter. There is people, we all know this, there's people that are going to sit in pews of churches year after year after year after year after year, and on Judgment Day, they're going to go to hell. Because they never knew Him as Father. They were right there on the front porch, but they never come in the door. I keep going back to that parable, I mean, that, that quote Jesus says that, that about entering in through that door. I used to tell the young people when I was a, a youth leader here for years how blessed and fortunate you are because you've been brought to the door. Your family has raised you up and put you right in front of the door, but they cannot push you through it. You have to strive. You have to fight to go in. So in the end, does it matter? As a sinner, it doesn't matter if you're far away in another country or you're sitting on the front porch. If you don't have that relationship with the Father, you're not going in. And that's the danger for us as churchgoers. Both of those are deadly. Inside that house is a banquet of grace. There's a banquet of forgiveness. There's fellowship with a Father who is kind and loving and generous and merciful and forgiving. He's just, he's just the best there ever is. 
And by the way, there's an inheritance that's set in heaven, undefiled, incorruptible, kept for us, if we'll only enter in. But we don't come in without that relationship with Him as our Heavenly Father. Next week, we'll be studying the parable of the talents. If you want to read ahead, that's found in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. So we'll be talking about that next week. Let's pray.